We in Matthew 21 have Matthew's account of the Lord's, of the uh, triumphal entry. I keep wanting to say the Lord's Supper for some odd reason. Um, so uh, Jesus is beginning in Matthew here the last part of his letter, last part of his life. Matthew 21 starts a segment that's going to, there are, it's, it's in 21, 1 to 11, there are all kinds of connections with things that follow all the way through chapter 28. So he's really starting, Matthew is, a new part to his gospel. And as he starts this, he's introducing themes that are going to be important through the rest of the passage. I'm not even going to try to unpack those things. That's just more more than I can do. But to get a start, um, this is, of course, the triumphal entry. So when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage, uh, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village that's opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with her. Uh, release it. Um, bring it to me. And if anyone says to you uh, anything, you shall say, um, do you have their owner? What do you have? Their Lord? The Lord the, the needs them okay there are a variety of ways to read this the word lord can also mean owner and it may be that jesus has left the donkey there as a as a kind of preparation for the uh, triumphal entry uh just point out there are things in the gospel story we wonder if these are predictions is jesus predicting to them that they will go into the town and they'll find a donkey tied up? Or is this a plan that he's already set in motion? Same thing with the Lord's Supper. He sends the men into town and he says, go and find a man and follow him. Whatever house he enters, ask, where is my upper room where I may eat eat the Passover with my disciples? Is this a prediction? They went in and found it just as Jesus said. I don't know. I don't know how to read it quite. It, it may well be that this is a plan that Jesus has set up beforehand um, in, in each case. And so um, I wouldn't be upset. I'd be very happy if this was a prediction, but I don't know that I can say that specifically from the uh, details of the passage. So um, verse 4, this happened that the thing spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, uh, speak to the daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. You have what next? Gentle, humble, gentle, humble uh, and riding upon a donkey upon the f- and upon the a, a colt, the, the uh, son of the yoke. Yeah, of the beast. Going in, the disciples uh, um, did as as he had commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid, laid their robes upon it, um, um, upon them, and he sat upon them. Uh, what is the them that he sat upon? Could be that he's straddling the two animals and doing a, a balancing act coming into the city. More likely, 
Uh, one commentator has suggested that the word them, do you have them? He sat upon them. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's the, the, word, the word upon them in Greek is plural. And uh, it could be actually a reference to the, to the garments, not to the animals. Um, I had never thought of that before uh, this morning. Very great crowds spread their own robes on the, ro- on the road, and some of them cut down branches from the trees, and they spread them out on the road. And the crowds were, who were going before him and those who were following cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered into Jerusalem, this, all the city was in an uproar. You, do you have in an uproar? What do you have? Stirred. This is a word for earthquake. <laughs> they were, it was really a, um, an amazing event. Everybody was upset. The city was stirred. Stirred is not quite enough for earthquake, is it? Uh, the city was rocked. Okay? Um, uh, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus the one from Nazareth of Galilee. And that's the end of the triumphal entry passage. I'll, I'll throw, throw in just a little bit more. Verse 12 and verse, uh, verse twelve will be enough. And Jesus entered into the temple and cast out all those who were selling and buying in the temple and the tables of the money changers he overturned and the, and the tables of those who were selling the doves. And he said to them, it's, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, you know this passage quite well. This is, this is well-trodden territory for you. We don't need to go into a lot, but there's some background stuff that, that will be useful for us to talk about. We're starting into, as you know, the last week of Jesus' life, his, his incarnation. Um, just as an aside on this, this is the last week of his humiliation. Okay. A week from this day, he will no longer be humiliated. Yes? Think what it had to mean to, mean to the person that Jesus was to have a sinful woman correct him, correct his speech, teaching him good grammar. Yes? Correct the way he ate at the table. Had to teach him how to eat properly. Think what that would mean. Think what it would mean to the person that Jesus was to limit what could be revealed of his character to what could be revealed through a human form. And how much can he reveal through an infant (laughs) who can't even speak? He who spoke the worlds into existence can't even talk. We have these strange notions about Jesus. We either lose the humanity and the deity or lose the deity and the humanity. It's hard for us to keep those things straight, but it was hard for Mary, too. Do, do you remember, I, I know you do, when they, left, when they left Jerusalem and he didn't go with them? And she came, they came back, she and Joseph, and found him in the temple and she asked him a question. It's a very important question, in the word, and the word order is important. Um, your father and I have been seeking you. 
in Hebrew and Greek, you don't say your father and I. You say I and your father. So why does she say your father and I have been seeking you? And uh, the answer, I think, is the reality of his being is too large to hold as long as you're holding the baby. Are you with me here? This baby whom I am now feeding from my own body, is the creator God. How do you keep that in mind? When Joseph is teaching him the trade of, we always say carpenter, it, it, there is no word for carpenter exactly. He is a technites, he's a craftsman. Probably worked in stone. Because there wasn't much wood to work on in, in Galilee. But worked in stone, and as, as Joseph was teaching him the, the trade, no, you don't hold it this way, you hold it that way. Yes? Uh, don't, don't, don't use that tool here, use this tool. You're, you're hitting it too hard, hit it more lightly. Yes? It's hard. How, can, how can Joseph keep in mind that the one he's teaching the use of, of stone tools, stone cutting tools, is the one who by his word spoke the worlds into existence. We tend to lose his humanity and his deity. So for us, he's all deity and, oh yes, he was also a man. Or, he's all man and, oh yes, he was also God. But we tend to lose one or the other. But he is both man and God, revealing only what can be revealed through a human form at any stage in his life. Are you with me here? Uh, so why did she say that? She's lost that. She says, your father and I. And his answer is telling, because again, word order is pretty, pretty significant, but for entirely different reasons in Greek than it is in English. In Greek, she said, he said, why is it that you were seeking me? At my father's, did you not have to know I would be? What, what? He, he didn't say, as many of us learned it, I, I learned it from the King James, uh, did you not know that I'd have, I would be about my father's business? But that's probably not the point. It's in response to her statement, we've been looking for you. Why, why would you look for me? Didn't you, have to, didn't you know I would have to be at my father's? What does that mean? Yeah, but what does at my father's mean? Yeah. But at, he's going to be at his. Where would you go if you were in a strange city? If you had family there, you'd go to their home. Yes? Well, his father's house is there. Why would you go looking for me? I'm at my father's house. But they don't remember that. They can't understand it. Yeah, well, of course. But he's a 12 year old like no 12 year old we've ever known. <laughs> uh, and I, again, I say, I would hate to have grown up with Jesus in the family. Why can't you be more like your brother? Well, <laughs> and I've said to you even, how would you like to grow up in a family where your big brother really was God's gift to the world? <laughs> so if, if this is the case, think, of, think about what he had to endure. But now he's coming to a climactic point in his life Seven days. 
and his whole ministry uh, on earth, his whole incarnation will be completed. In seven days, no longer is he limited to reveal himself through only what can be revealed through a human form. Now he will be what he was in the transfiguration. Now he will be able to demonstrate the whole nature of his being, both human, so he eats with the disciples after he's raised from the dead. Yes? But he also appeared in a room that had a locked door. And my favorite professor said, I've always been looking forward to my resurrection body because I felt that using doors was a drag. <laughs> so so uh, here he is, now able to live and reveal himself in both forms, both human and fully divine. Are you with me here? So seven days, and it's all going to be accomplished. But what a seven days. So he starts in. So they came to Jerusalem, or they came near to Jerusalem, and, and they came to Bethphage. Bethphage, nobody knows exactly where it, it, it is. Uh, what's interesting is that it's the name, I, I didn't know this until this morning, the name Bethphage means the house of unripe figs. Is that significant? Why? I see you saying yes. Why is that significant? Well, uh, there's many, many things, but the least of which is that uh, they up to this point, they weren't ready. Yes. They're, not, they're going to be yeah. ripened yes. after these events. Yeah. Um, but go down to um, verse 18. Early in the morning, uh, coming to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree. Yes. <clears throat> that doesn't have any fruit. So he's at Bethphage. <laughs> um, and he tells them to go in and, uh, and get the donkey. Now that's, that's something I have puzzled over for years, frankly. I, I, why... A donkey, oh, it's the, it's the animal of peace, not the animal of war. Yeah, and that's probably true. Um, there's something going on there. I, do you have donkey? Yeah. All right. Um, let's see, did I get a picture here? Yes. I've always seen Jesus riding on the donkey with his, his feet tra- dragging on the ground and trying to hold them up so they, they don't drag on the ground. That that's the way I I pictured it. I don't know whether this is accurate or not. It looks like it might be. But why a donkey? Well, it's an animal of peace. That's true. Humility, stubborn. Yeah, stubborn. <laughs> uh, um, they thought he was coming in to be their king. They is mm-hmm. the donkey. Yes. Actually, it's not. It's exactly the same. Yes, and I'll explain why. Okay. Uh, this is, that's great. Uh, they think that he's coming in as a conquering king. They don't see him coming in in peace. They think he's a conqueror. But he is a conqueror who conquers by being conquered himself. Lots of things that, we, do you know the word antinomy? A-N-T-I-N-O-M-Y? Antinomy? It's like... It's similar to the word contradiction in meaning. Um, 
to affirm that A is the same as B, in the, and yet different from B in the same way and in the same sense, is a contradiction. All right? Yes? Yeah. All right? But to affirm that light is a wave and light is a particle, I'm, I'm, I'm at the edge of my, mean, my knowledge, so please don't ask any questions about this because I won't even be able to say more than what I'm saying. All right? But to say that a, a light is a wave and a particle at the same time and in the same sense is an antinomy. There are two, there are two facts, statements, which are true. We just don't know how they fit together. Are you with me here? A, a typical way of talking about this is to, is to talk about uh, free will and sovereignty, and I don't even want to go there this morning because that will get us sidetracked from the real issue. But one of the Psalms in the late 90s says that God surrounds himself with, uh, he uh, uh, is uh, surrounded with light as with a garment. And, the, and another Psalm in the early hundreds says, God covers himself with clouds and thick darkness, which is true. Well, the answer is very simple. How many of you with your natural eye have ever seen the surface of the sun? None of us. Why not? It would, it would, it would blind you. Is there any other reason? You can't see past the light. The light of the sun hides the surface of the sun from our natural eyes. Are you with me here? All I can do is use special kinds of instruments with different um, wavelengths that, they're, that it's sensitive to and be able to see the actual surface of the sun. But I can't do it with my, my natural eyes. As far as our experience of the sun is concerned, it is veiled in darkness because I can't see it. There's too much light. Are you, are you with me here? Or to say it slightly differently, You've all seen pictures heavily backlit of a person photographed heavily backlit. What do you... The light hides the character, the person, in darkness. Yes? All right. Which is it? It's both. It's an antinomy to us. Are you with me here? There are th two things, both of which are true, but we just can't see how they work together. We, we know both of them to be true but we can't figure out how they fit. Does this make sense to you? Folks, if God is God, he should be that way. That's exactly what he should be. Uh, so here, here we are. Um, where were we, in fact? Um, hmm? Where? 18. 18? Oh, that's right, yeah. The... We're coming in from Bethphage, and uh, uh, Jesus sent his two disciples in, go into the village. Immediately you will find a, a donkey tied up there. The donkey is here. Oh, that's how I got into this. He's come as a king, but not as a conquering king. He comes as a king of peace. Now, how can he say this is a, a royal animal? None of us, not anything in our experience tells us that a donkey is a royal animal. If I want to see a king, 
uh, go, go to Europe and see all the equestrian statues. Every one of them on donkeys. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was reading in the notes, I'm sorry. Okay. But it did say David uh, considered the donkey or the mule as a royal animal. Yes. And we may be, we may actually be de- dealing with a mule here, uh, except it's got a, fo- a foal, so that can't be. We're dealing with a donkey. The point of this is when, uh, for these animals, these were uh, unique animals that were, were kept by wealthy people, and they were um, things that showed that you were coming not for attack, you were coming for treat for peace. Are you? If you were coming for attack, you'd be on a horse. Does that make sense? But you're not. You're coming for, um, for peace. And, and by bringing the foal of the donkey too, the probability is it's all the more an indication of that. But it's more, folks. Do you remember the story of um, Adonijah and, and Solomon First, in the early chapters of 1 Kings? Move your heads. Okay, some is and some ain't. Uh, most ain't. 1 <laughs> Kings chapter 1. You have a a problem in the succession to King David. The problem is he has um, he's had three older sons, three Amnon, Absalom. I guess that's it. Two older sons, both who have made some kind of pretense to being the the next king. Absalom, open rebellion. Both of them have been have died. Adonijah is the next one in line to be the king. And Adonijah, when David is very, very old, Adonijah makes a bid to take over the kingship of Jerusalem. He went down, he got all the people who were anybody in the kingdom. He got a prophet, he got a priest. Um, uh, Can't think of the name of the priest. Um, Abiathar, yeah. Um, uh, They're down at, at uh, uh, at the Ein Rogel, a spring just across the valley south of Jerusalem, and they've got the members of the army, they've got uh, the general Joab is supporting Solomon, Adonijah to be the next king. Everybody's there. They've, they've crowned him king. They're hooping it up, having a great time. And, the, and in the meantime, um, uh, Nathan, the prophet, came to, uh, to Bathsheba and said, you better get busy because if you don't, you're going to be dead before very long. Adonijah is claiming kingship. Go into David, and they make a plot. And she goes in and says, didn't you promise that my son Solomon would be the next king? Yes, that's God's promise. As they're conversing, Nathan comes in and says, oh, my Lord, the king, didn't you promise that Solomon will be the next king? Yes, the Lord said that. Uh, So David says, here's what you must do. Go to, to the spring of Gihon, or right outside the city wall, and throw a feast. Um... Crown Solomon, have him sit on my donkey, and go into Jerusalem and have him sit on my throne. And when the shout comes up from the uh, spring of Gihon, they hear it down just, it's not very far south. And you've got uh, uh, valleys tunneling the sound or channeling the sound to the south anyway, so that, that, that it would be heard at, at Ain Rogel is not surprising. Adonijah says, what, what is this big roar, uproar we're hearing? And a man came tra- running, and he said, look, he said, um, David has made Solomon king. 
and he has he has been crowned. He had, by the way, a prophet. He had Nathan. He had a the uh, the new the new high priest Zadok. And he had a head of the uh, head of the military supporting him, and all of David's select troops were there supporting him. Are you with me? They've they've crowned him, and he and up to this point, everything seems to be just a matter of he said she said, yes. Um, the the issue is you've got two rival rival claimants to the throne. Why doesn't Adonijah go ahead and fight? Why doesn't he start a civil war to take the kingship away? In fact, as 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 the the messenger finishes his word, Adonijah cringes in fear, and he rushes to the city, uh, took, takes hold of the horns of the altar, and pleads for, for refuge. Are you with me here? And you have to ask the question, well, what, what's gone on? What's different? Well, there are two things different. One is he has sat on David's throne. In uh, Egypt and Israel, there were two stages in making a king. One is being crowned. But the other is sitting on the throne. When you're actually enthroned, you have become fully the king and begun to exercise your power. This, these, that, that Adonijah had not done. But there's one other thing, and we mentioned it. Uh, Solomon rode on David's donkey. This would have been your private animal, your personal transportation. Are you with me here? So Solomon, by the way, whose name means... Let me say it in Hebrew. Shlomo. What does his name mean? Peace. Peace has ridden into the city on, a, on an animal of peace. As the true king and the heir of the Davidic promises. Are you with me here? So Jesus comes into the city on a royal animal as the prince of peace and the one who's claiming the right to rule over Jerusalem. Just uh, another piece of tie to the Old Testament. This is fascinating. Hadn't really paid much attention to this until this morning. Jesus takes, I'm sorry, yes, Jesus takes pretty much the same route going into Jerusalem that David took going out of Jerusalem in Absalom's rebellion. David went out from Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, and down the Mount of Olives. Jesus comes up the Mount of Olives, down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, into Jerusalem. So David, what David nearly lost, Jesus is now claiming. Are you with me? Um, the commentary I was looking at this morning pointed out something too. There's at least one hypothesis that the actual place where Jesus was crucified was on the Mount of Olives. I don't know whether that's true or not, uh, and I wouldn't even want to go there because, as far as I know, there's only one person who holds that view, and so it's probably wrong. Uh, but, um, and it's not me. I, I I didn't even know that view until this morning. the The point I'm getting at is there are all kinds of connections to the Old Testament Jesus is making in this event. Am I making sense to you? He's claiming the right to the Davidic throne. Now, when we get into the city, so. Verse 3, if anyone says to you um, uh, anything, you shall say uh, it's uh, their owner has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This all happened that what, might, that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled when he said, 
speak to the daughter of Zion. Do you have a, a marginal reference on that first line? Speak to the daughter of Zion. Good, Isaiah 62.11. The rest of the quotation is from Zechariah 9.9. I'm sorry, brother. Ah, that's a great question. Good, thank you. Um, in the Old Testament, daughter of a city can refer to one, one of two things, either the villages. Uh, we think of a city and we think of residential neighborhoods and business areas and uh, uh, streets and roads. And They thought of a central fortress with lots of villages all around, and the villages were the daughters of... So, the, so that's one possibility, but here it's probably a rather a, a reference to uh, the actual people who live in Zion. Uh, Isaiah talks about Mother Zion, who was bereft of her children when they were taken into Babylonian captivity, and then when they come back, she says, "Whose children are these? Where did they come from?" And uh, she, they're her children, but she doesn't know them because they've been, they've been exiled for, for 70 years. Are you with me here? So uh, the, the uh, inhabitants of the land, the daughter of Zion, then would be the, the issue here. Uh, so speak to the daughter of Zion, Isaiah 62, 11. Let's, let's turn there just briefly. I have a new Bible. The people in India wanted me to have a gift. And they wanted to buy me another suit, a handmade suit. I said, I haven't worn the two suits that you've given me a year and a half ago. There are no occasions to wear a suit. In America? No, there are no occasions to. Nobody wears suits much anymore. I said, where I teach, we don't wear suits. I said, if you buy me another suit, I'll take it, thankfully, but I'll never wear it. I don't have occasions to wear it. So finally I thought about this Bible. <laughs> it's a King James Bible that was uh, published just a few years ago. In fact, in honor of the 500th, 400th uh, anniversary of the printing of the, of the original King James. So it's really a beautiful printing. If you'd like to look at it, you can come up and see it a little later. Don't touch it. <laughs> I, I alone touch it. But, uh, Isaiah 62. Um, verse, let me pick it up at verse 8, and I'll read it in this somewhat antiquated English, but it is still beautiful. The Lord hath sworn by his right hand, and I'm starting with verse 8, and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies, and the sons of the stranger shall not drink thy wine for which thou hast labored, but they that have gathered it shall eat it, and praise the Lord, and they that have brought it together shall, shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, uh, say uh, to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him, and they shall call them the holy people the redeemed of the Lord, and thou shalt be called, sought out a city not forsaken. Uh, he's reversing, by the way, here, a judgment that he had pronounced earlier in the passage. Point is, by introducing this quotation, 
with Isaiah 62:11, he's telling us the ministry of Jesus. Do you see it there in verse 11? Yes? All right. Um, so that's the beginning. Then he goes to Zechariah 9.9. Once again, let's turn to Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah is a minor prophet and usually requires a five-minute break. Uh, so you can look it up in the table of the contents. But go to Matthew and turn two books left and you'll have Zechariah. Okay? So <laughs> Zechariah Malachi. We were learning the books of the, of the minor prophets in vacation Bible school one year. And one of my friends said, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Tabaka. <laughs> that's, that's clearly wrong. I just want to make sure you knew that. Uh, Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9 starts the last part of the book of, of Zechariah. It goes all the way to chapter 14. Difficult material here. But it is um, some of the more remarkable uh, passages. There is more, as a, as a function of percentage of content in the book of Zechariah, there's more messianic prophecy in Zechariah than any other book of the Old Testament. So verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly riding upon a donkey and upon a, the colt of, a, of the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. Notice, peace. Now, now Israel and Judah will not fight by the means of, of human warfare anymore. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the Nations. nations. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. Um, here is the ministry of the Messiah. They don't know it. They don't understand it. But this is what Jesus intended as he's coming into the city. Are you with me here? He is, he is, Matthew is unfolding to us, undoubtedly, what Jesus taught in those 40 days after the resurrection. Again, my favorite professor said, that's a Bible conference I would rather have attended than all the Bible conferences I ever did attend, including those in which I was the speaker. <laughs> so, but just, just for us to, to remember, Jesus unfolded the scriptures for them so that they would understand. In verse 6, then, back in Matthew 21, the disciples... yes. Yeah. Oh, probably the, the Euphrates. I know. Yeah, probably. The, that's the way you refer to the Euphrates in the Old Testament. Um, the disciples went and did just as he had commanded them, and they brought the donkey and its, and its colt, and they laid uh, their coats upon them, and uh, he sat upon the clothing, probably, and a very great crowd... Um, spread out their robes. Um, how, how many changes of clothing would you would, would you have had in ancient Israel? Maybe one. For for festivals, you might have something that was a little less dirty than the rest of your clothes. Are you with me here? Uh, for you to take your garment, you're coming up to festival. Yes. You take your garment and you spread it out on the ground for somebody to walk on. 
a donkey to walk on. What are you saying? Yeah. That's it. And, and they're acknowledging their subservience to Jesus. Who are these people? This very great crowd. Who are they? Yeah, common people. Where'd they come from? Yes, and that's a good a good a way good way to say it. From all around, um, I assumed and and have been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, who are the crowd that cry for Jesus' crucifixion? Same crowd. Yeah. No, not likely. Um, it's not paid as such. Um, the, the people who are with him, look at the text more closely. Um, um, verse 9. Where does, the, where does this start? Look at verse 9. Does it start inside the city, outside the city? Where does it start? Outside. So, so where do all these people come from? Notice that the crowd inside the city asks, who is this? This crowd knows who he is. Yes? So it starts outside the city. Where do these people come from? All around, but not Jerusalem. So for years, I thought, eh, how do you put this all together? The crowd rejoices, and, if, and, and five days later, they're calling for his crucifixion. How do we put this all together? And I, I finally decided that they're not related, and there's a good reason for that. This crowd is likely to be people who've been coming to the festival, they're streaming in from all over the countryside, south of Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem, north of Jerusalem, all coming in together. And they are, uh, they are people, especially people from Galilee, who've seen his ministry for three years. Yes, they've been watching it. And lots of them are probably disciples. Lots of them are believers. And so they're cheering. They think, boy, now it's all going to come to pass. Except that Jesus is riding on a donkey. We'd rather have him do something else. But, man, this is Jesus. But there's a different crowd. You, you see the problem here? So they ask, um, let's see. Um, they cut down limbs. And the crowds going before him and the crowds were following were crying out saying, Hosanna to the, uh, to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, uh, I'm sorry, Hosanna in the highest. Again, a quotation from Psalm 118. The 118th Psalm, very important Psalm, quoted several times in the New Testament. Um, uh, it's, it's the source of some of our favorite verses. Uh, one is, uh, um, this is the day, not that the Lord has made, but rather this is the day the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Are you with me here? Uh, so this is a day for rejoicing, not a day for, for uh, mourning. Because Psalm 118 is about a king who's been out to battle, was nearly defeated. And in, in any battle in which a king is nearly defeated, lots of people die. Lots of people are maimed for life. Yes? Lots of people are seriously injured, so serious that their lives are hanging in the balance. Yes? Isn't that a time for mourning? Not when God has acted. The time for mourning will come later. Today is the day God has acted. We will. The king is saying, we, 
we're committed to rejoicing in this day because this is the time of that when God has acted, it's not a time to, to, to focus upon death and sin and hopelessness and despair. It's time to focus on and rule your, 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 even your emotions by what God is doing and has done. Does this make sense to you? Later, we will mourn. Right now, it's time for rejoicing. Uh, so uh, this is the quotation. And thus we have from Psalm 118, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Another of the famous quotations from this uh, psalm, um, the stone which was rejected by the builders has become the chief of the corner. This is, this is the Lord's work. It is marvelous in our eyes. Yes? You remember this? The, the point there, folks, is in Psalm 118, the builders are all the other kings of the earth. The one thing they want to do is to get rid of the cornerstone. They want to destroy him. But in Jesus' day, who are the builders that have tried to reject the cornerstone? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Are, are you with me here? So, so um, he's walking into a hotbed of hostility. He's walking into bringing his supporters. The other crowd is a different crowd. Let's look at it. Uh, verse... Uh, uh, 10, and entering into the city, the city was all in an uproar, saying, Who is this? Haven't you been listening? Didn't you hear Isaiah 62, 11? Didn't you hear Zechariah 9, 9? Didn't you hear Psalm 118? Are you with me here? Um, can't, can't you see these things? Don't you see David? Entering into the city on his donkey. Don't you see Solomon entering into the city on his donkey? Don't you see the claims that are being made here? Don't you remember what Jesus has done? And I remind you of something I've reminded you on several occasions of. When Nicodemus came to Jesus in John 3, we know, we, know, we, the leaders of Jerusalem, know that you are a teacher sent from God because no one can do the signs that you're doing except God is with him. Yes? We know. Haven't you been paying attention? Who is this? How can you ask that question? That's a nonsense question. Who is this? And the crowds responded, this is the prophet Jesus, the, 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 the one from Nazareth of Galilee. Notice verse 10. The people in the city say, who is this? The people from outside the city, no. The people in the city have no idea. The people outside the city, no. Is it wrong? Is it inadequate to call him the prophet? No. David was a prophet. Solomon was a prophet. And both of them were kings. Are you with me here? He's the prophet, the one from Nazareth of Galilee. It's, it's the triumphal entry. Folks, do you see here, and this we'll say, oh my, I didn't realize how late it is. I apologize. We'll, we'll wrap it up very quickly now. Do you see how easy it is to know and yet miss the very things that we're going through? Here we are in Passion Week, we call it. Uh, it starts with triumph and it ends with triumph. But it gets from triumph to triumph. 
through disaster. But that disaster is our greatest blessing. That disaster is what establishes Jesus. Because without the death, there is no resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no hope of life. And without the resurrection, I have no proof that what Jesus claimed to do in the crucifixion is actually what he accomplished. But with the resurrection, so so Romans 4.25, he was handed over because of our transgressions. He was raised because of our justification. Let's, Let's close with prayer. Father, let us lay hold of these things in this week as as perhaps in no other week of our lives to be impressed with the one who went from triumph through disaster into triumph and in the disaster purchased the final triumph and uh, we await that day when it is complete. Father, we're, we're weary of a world which is so sinful, but as weary as we are, you must be more weary. Let your day of salvation come quickly. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen.